Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and beginning with the first verse. The writer is saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as a son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time at their pleasure, but to discipline us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Lord, help us to be listed as one who believes. This last week, I happened to be with one of the members of this church that is a very kind person in some ways, but a very outspoken person. And I was trying to enjoy myself and doing what Brother Dan tells us to do, to sing and rejoice every once in a while, and I was doing my part of singing that day with him. And so as I was singing this little tune, he stopped me and he says, Preacher, is that tune and song that you're singing in parts? And I thought for a moment, I said, well, I suppose it is. He says, well, when you get to my part, leave it out. I didn't get that for a while either. I thought he was talking about something else, you know. But finally, he had to explain to me he didn't like the way I was singing. And when I got around to singing his part of the song, he didn't want to hear it. Well, this sermon this morning is the second part of what was last Sunday. And I hope you don't feel like that friend of mine who said, leave out my part when you come to it. Sometime this past week, you saw, as I did perhaps if you were watching TV, the president of the United States, President Ford, give his farewell address to the powers that be Capitol Hill. I'm always proud of this, to be a part of a country like we have. But when I 
witnessed such thing as the change of power in this government of ours. And here this man that is now leaving the seat of power and to become just another citizen and the way that he presented himself. And the way this government of ours goes about its business, it's a fantastic thing to me to be a part of it and to know that this is the country in which I have a birthright in and which in the infinite wisdom of God he gave me this opportunity and this privilege to be. But it seems to me that we're forever saying uh, goodbye or hello to someone. I notice that some of the companies and the IRS has a way about them that when someone is leaving or retiring, they take them out to dinner. Well, I think that's a good thing to do. And our little young lady that's been taking care of our Mother's Day out and given leadership, the cable leadership to that and direction, she was leaving this week and bid us farewell after several years here with us because of the transfer of her husband. So she was leaving to go along with him. And I thought, well, it'd be a good thing to take her to lunch and to try to show something of our appreciation and respect and love and care and concern for her and what she has done. Thinking in terms of sharing with people what we have. And as we think about ourselves as being a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and being the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ and his love, what do we say really to people when they come to us and we say hello to them for the first time? And then what do we say to them as they are with us over a period of time? And what do we really leave them with? As a man said to me not too long ago, what do you say to a mortician that just graduated from school? I said, well, do you have one in the family? He said, yes. I have one and my nephew, and he's just graduated and said goodbye because he's taking a position down in the state somewhere. And I said goodbye to him, and I said, well, I hope uh, you have good business. And I thought about that after a while, he said, I don't know whether I should have said that to him, <laughs> to have uh, a lot of business. Well, what do we say to people, really, when we leave them? What would be the thing that we want as Christians to be conscious of, given to one another? You know, the book of Hebrews was actually written to encourage, for us to be an encouragement one to the other. And that's why this man has placed so much emphasis upon the faith and has the roll call of faith of all the great people there and tells us about what they were able to do through faith. And I am quite sure that the thing that this man is trying to say in the entire book, you can pick it up what I read to you this morning, and I picked that very carefully, to say to us the thing that we really have to share with one another, that can be our greatest encouragement is to share our faith one with the other, and to be an encouragement one to the other, to keep the faith. This is the most important thing, the most important thing. Now, we say that we believe in God, and we say that we believe in a personal God, and we do. The other day I was up here in the sanctuary, and I heard some racket down in the basement like someone was tearing a place apart. And I went down there, and there was two little boys standing down here at the, at the coke machine, and one of them was just kicking the fire out of that machine. I mean, he was just really backing off and really kicking that thing. And I said, hey, what, what are you doing? He says, well, this thing is taking my money and won't give me a soft drink. And so he was there trying to make it wake up by kicking. Well, we believe in something a little bit different than that. You say, we believe that we do have a personal God. Now, we can't make that machine personal. We can't make it respond to us other than it's been programmed to respond. But we don't believe in a God that the deists believe in, sort of 
wound us up like a clock and set us in motion and then has departed from us. We believe in a God that we can be in contact with. We believe in a God that has healing. We believe in a God that was representing the Lord Jesus Christ that can laugh and can weep. We believe in a God that is concerned about us. And beloved, more than anything else upon the face of this earth, we believe that not only that God loves us, but in this love we find reason and purpose and comfort and meaning for these lives in which we're trying to to leave them. Maybe I should say this morning that we should take inventory about what we really have. What do we have as Christians? Well, I would like to say in the first place that this fellow tells us that we've got a refuge. We have a refuge. You know, I think it was about maybe in the last 10 years, Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick died. He was one of our great preachers. Somewhere early in his life, after he became a minister, he had completely a nervous breakdown. He fell apart emotionally, totally, and had to be uh, institutionalized and had uh, a great uh, long illness before he was restored to health again. And there's a break in his writing before and after his illness, and there's a difference in his writing. And he, I am quite sure, was referring to his own illness when he said, you know, when man is capable of suffering, and man does suffer, when he loses his faith in God, he loses his strongest and surest refuge. Now, beloved, that is so, and I would agree with that. But this is not something new that was discovered in the past century. However old the 91st Psalm is, this man long ago discovered that same truth. He said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. There it is. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. He is my refuge. Well, beloved, if I have distilled any truth of life, I would agree 100% with what the psalmist is saying and what this great minister of the age gone by discovered. When man, the one that is able to suffer and capable and has this capacity, when he loses his faith in a living, creative, responsive God, he has lost his greatest and surest refuge. He hasn't any. It's gone. It has been swept away. Now, we do not have to be reminded of the fact uh, that uh, we suffer. Beloved, that's uh, something that every one of us has discovered, and we know it. I remember one time being called early in the morning to come to a home quickly, and I went to that home and discovered a mother sitting in a rocking chair holding her lifeless little baby to her breast. And she was sitting in this state of stupor and almost total shock and not able to come out of it for, for quite a while. And oh, how, how she suffered over the death of this little one. She was numb because of it. I remember that young friend of mine that had such capable possibility uh, that uh, went to, to one of our universities here in the state and got his degree and wanted to work with young people and took a position of being a teacher in a high school. He only taught two months. The doctor told him that he had cancer. One year later, he was dead. Dealing with the family and thinking, why? All this suffering and the agony. I remember a few days ago, just about the time that Debbie got her degree in law out here from the law school here in our city, and I was eating something out of a bent can, and she saw it, and she had eaten some of it too, and she 
little bit hyper about eating things that she thinks are going to poison her. And she looked at that bin can. She said, did I eat all that bin can too? I said, yeah, you ate the same thing too? She said, oh, I'm going to die. And if I die, think about all that schooling I've got that's going to ruin. And I've worked so hard. Well, we know about suffering. That is something that every one of us has experienced, and we will continue to experience this business of suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ said, The floods come and the rains descend. And, beloved, that is true. It is only our religious faith that can sustain us and keep us. It is only our religious conviction and our faith that empowers us to walk in the face of suffering. Those who believe it, we don't really need to know whether or not it makes sense to us. It's all we need to know that it makes sense to God. Beloved, I have discovered, and I believe it, that suffering is the building blocks of the kingdom of God. And if we believe this, there's no way that we will despair here upon the face of this earth. This is the kind of faith that is not mere words. It is a matter of life. It is a matter of life. It is a matter of creative, dynamic living. Because these people who so believe will be able to live in the face of whatever might come to them and rise above it and become victorious. So we do have a refuge. Secondly, we are able to tap the fountain of love. You know, you can say much about man and the dual personality that he has, that he is mean and abusive. He can be evil. He can be ruthless. But you know, I've discovered something about the men, all of us, that we have those whom we love. And they can be loved so much that we would be willing to give our life for them. They're loved that much. Now, when you begin to think about it, I agree then with John, the first uh, letter that he has written, the fourth chapter there in the 16th verse where he is saying, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love, listen to this, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You know, I run into people who have this great capacity to love, and they do love, and they're lovely people, and they demonstrate their love. And I've heard these people say from time to time, well, I don't know whether I'm part of God's kingdom or not. I really don't know whether I'm saved or not. I don't know how they can come to any other conclusion other than that they are saved if the love that they have is expressed. And when they, the scripture tells me that God is love, and he that love dwells in God and God in him, it can't be any other way. And what I'm trying to say this morning, that there is a tap deep within the midst of a personality that can be aligned with that Spirit of God, and that Spirit of God flows into this heart and makes it the loving person that it is. You know, beloved, we don't have to worry about uh, this love running out. And the other fallacy about it is, too, that uh, we think sometimes that love depends upon whether or not a person is lovable or not. Well, no, it doesn't. You see, if that were so, that some of us would never have experienced another person loving us. If we had to wait until we were lovable for someone to love us. But that's not the way the love of God works. This spring that I'm talking about 
that you have as a Christian that you can lay hold of that will equip you to love those who are not lovable. Thank God for that. And thank God for these people who are willing to put themselves in a position where this love of God will flow through them, even to those who are not lovable. That's what we have when we say we believe in a living, creative God. And in the last place, beloved, I want to tell you that there's hope. There is hope everywhere, every place. You know there's a dual nature in man. The one is likened man into a lighthouse. If you look at the base of the lighthouse and you see this massive stone or structure, whatever it's uh, built out of, and it can be cold and, and unresponsive. But you know the lighthouse contains and houses something completely different from the structure, and that is the light. And this light has the mysterious power of expelling darkness and flinging itself in a beam out across the, the ocean or the water or the mountain or wherever it is and to dispel the darkness. It's different from the lighthouse. Beloved, we know that there's something within us that's different than this physical body, that is something that is housed here, but it's different in nature from the house in which it abides. And we believe that man is greater than what uh, he appears to be. We believe that. Of course we do. And we believe that this thing that is housed here is eternal. And we believe that it will not be dissipated at death, but rather it will be released at death. And it will go on to even to be something greater than, as Paul says, than the mind of man can lay hold of. I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the, the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what we have uh, when we have a faith and keep it alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that this spirit is not given in vain. The future of this body, these days are numbered, but not the spirit that will be released to go to be with that one that created it. We are, as the writer of Hebrews says, of old Abraham, that he went out looking for a city not made by human hands, but he went out looking for a city that was made by the Lord. Beloved, that is a city that you and I are in search of, whose builder and maker is our God. And those who search for the city are those who keep their faith. In a godless world, without God, men die before they die. And this death is an eternal one. Talking about hope, there was a man one day met the former president, John Quincy Adams, when he was 80-some years of age. And he had a conversation with him one morning, and I've typed it here, and I would like to share it with you in closing this morning. The man said to John Quincy Adam and inquiring of his health, said, good morning. And how is John Quincy Adam today? And John Quincy Adam said, thank you. John Quincy Adam himself is well. Quite well, I thank you. But the house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. It totters upon its foundation. Time and seasons have nearly destroyed it. It groweth 
is pretty well worn out. Its walls are shattered, and it trembles in every wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable, and I think John Quincy Adam will have to move out of it real soon. But he himself, John Quincy Adam, is quite well, quite well. Thank you. Beloved, that expresses our hope. That's what we're talking about. And this is why it is so important for you to keep the faith. And not only for you to keep it, but you encourage everyone that you come in contact with, whether it be someone you're saying hello to for the first time, or whether it be one that you say goodbye to forever. Our Father, our Father, help us then that we might keep alive in us and those we love this spark that shall bring us eternally to Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 